may want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27. We'll be there in just a minute. The title of this morning's message is Rejoice. Let me say it again, rejoice. That's a commandment. I found out this week that the word rejoice and its different tenses are used in our scriptures from front to back over 300 times when we are commanded to be glad and to be happy and to be merry. Those are the words that are the definitions of the term. 300 times it's used in scripture. That outweighs most of the other commandments. Don't do this and do do this. We found that we put a lot of stress on ourselves sometimes by what we think the Bible wants us to be and to do and to say to change our behavior. A great deal of that that we hear is coming from the mouths of men and not from the Word of God. You need to know that. People get carried away a little bit by what they think God expects of us. But I tell you, we're kind of like the nurse that's on 24-hour call. We can go home and do pretty much whatever we want to until we get the call. God has something to say about our general behavior, but it's stuff we need to be doing anyway. And if we do it, God will bless our lives because of it. But in this thing about us being happy, us being glad and being merry and rejoicing, there's something I want to share with you. Satan is trying to keep you and I from finding out exactly who we are. Because if we knew who we were, if we knew the importance that God has placed on a born-again believer, when he told the disciples when they'd come back and he had sent them out in pairs and told them, I'm giving you the power to take demons, to take devils out of people, and they came back and were bragging how they had control over the devil world, he told them, he said, if you're going to brag about something, brag that your name is written in heaven, not that you have control over Satan. So the thing is, the number one thing about us is our name is written in heaven. If we knew what was possible with each one of us, it would blow our minds. We're not common and we're not everyday. And God says, I don't want you acting like you're everybody else because you're not. Now that doesn't mean that you're supposed to get arrogant about it and look down your nose at everybody else. It just simply means that you have the potential to do things that nobody else can do. We mentioned Philip last week. And an angel of the Lord told him to go down on the road to Gaza. And the next sentence says, and he got up and went. And when he had walked about 45 miles, he saw an Ethiopian in a chariot, and the Spirit of God told him to go up to the chariot. He didn't even know why he was down there. He had walked 45 miles, didn't know where he was going or why. And he shared the scripture. The man was reading the book of Isaiah. And the guy said, he said, do you know what you're reading? He said, no. How can I? He was the number two guy in the country of Ethiopia to the queen. Number two guy as ruler in that whole country. And Philip explained to him how to be saved. He said, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Philip got out and baptized him. Then it said Philip disappeared and showed up the next day 28 miles down the road. 
Now let me tell you what that story in Acts does not tell you. That when you go back and figure the timeline on when Philip did that and converted that Ethiopian eunuch, the second man in, in charge of the country of Ethiopia, that two years later, that country was known in the world as a Christian country. That man went back and evangelized the whole country. So many things like that. If I hadn't have heard somebody say something about that and gone and researched it, I wouldn't know that. There are things we are capable of that we don't even know what God is doing. We can do little things that we think is not that big a deal. Just talking to one man, I mean, what's the big deal? Well, it turned the whole country around for Jesus Christ. That's what it did. Philip didn't know about this, I'm quite sure. Communications in those days being what it is. So what I'm trying to say is, Satan, in order to destroy God's work, has to destroy our relationship with God because we are God's work. And he's got several good ways of doing it. But one of the biggest things is to making us feel like we don't have the power to do anything. But the same Holy Spirit that is in Jesus Christ that raised him from the dead is the Holy Spirit that I've got in me and that you've got in you. It's not a little Holy Spirit. It doesn't have less horsepower. It's the same thing. We can do anything Jesus did if God wants us to do it. So what does it take for us to be where God can use us? It's a commitment to doing what God tells us to do. That's all we've got to do. Is be committed to doing what God wants us to do. I can remember sitting at a kitchen table in December of 1973. I had gotten type 1 diabetes four years before, and I had just been that year, six months before, been completely wiped out, lost everything I had with a tornado. I was sitting in a government-loaned trailer that allowed us, the HUD gave it to us for a year to build a house. And I was sitting in there reading the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. So most of you have read that book on prophecy. I had been a Christian since I was 10 years old. And something happened to me. I still can't explain it. I've read several books that try to describe it. But I ceased to be a what I call a common pew sitter, somebody who went to church when he could, to whatever it is I've become. But at that point, I remember in my mind committing myself to God. There are two things. I'm going to believe everything in the Bible, and I'm going to do everything you want me to do. And that commitment changed my whole life. Now, it certainly didn't make a preacher out of me, because that came about 35 years later. I mean, it's, I learned a few years after that that I was a teacher, and so I started teaching the Bible. But everything has really happened to me. I mean, God protected me before then to keep me from doing anything stupid enough to where I wouldn't have a reputation today to be where I am. But I can remember that. And that's all it takes, folks. So I'm saying to you, I'm going to show you some things that God says. So this Labor Day, 2023, just like that December of 1973, I remember the time. And if you make that commitment this weekend, you'll always remember this time that you did that. And it's just as simple as just saying, Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But you've got to make me understand what you're telling me to do. That's your job, not mine. 
And he says, though, that he'll teach us even the things that we don't know we don't have. So that's covered, too, but I had to learn that later on. Satan is most afraid of a born-again believer who has been given by God the standard equipment, the equipment that comes with anybody being born again, that has committed his life to doing whatever Jesus says to do. That's all. It's not working 24 hours. It's not watching every word comes out of your mouth like so many people want to say. It's living the best you can until he calls you to do something. Just like he did Philip. That's all God wants to know. What do you got on your mind? What have you made up in your mind that you're going to do and you're going to be? The world, dead works that Hebrews talks about is works that God didn't have anything to do with. I was talking with a lady a couple of weeks ago who said, I just try to help everybody all the time, every day. I said, well, you really ought not to do that. She said, why? I said, because there are times when God doesn't want us to help somebody else. We had a, a guy visiting here years ago, sat right over there somewhere. And I made the comment that we're not supposed to help everybody all the time. Found out later he was a Methodist, and Methodists teach their big deal in their church. They teach to always help everybody, and anybody that needs help, you need to help them. And I made the comment, we're not supposed to do that. And he came up after church and asked me, he says, what in the world would make Jesus tell us that we're not supposed to help somebody? And I said, do you ever read Proverbs? He said, not much. I said, well, Proverbs is a whole book about the bad things God says going to happen to you if you're un, un, uh, disobedient to me. Now, if I'm disobedient to God, 12th chapter of Hebrews, God's fixing to come down on me and he's going to spank me. And I thought the tornado and the diabetes, and I still believe that, was God spanking me. Because I wasn't living my life like he wanted me to live it. And that's the reason I committed myself like I did. Seemed like there was just too much trouble coming my way. And God says, when you're disobedient, I'm going, I'm going to give you trouble. And for me to jump in there and to help somebody that God has got in a mess is going against God and what he intends for that person to be. So that's the reason I say the only commandment we got is to be obedient. So what does that mean? That means doing what God tells you to do. If he's not telling you to do anything, go on about your business but live with good behavior, with Christian behavior. But see, the dead works and the world keep us too busy. <laughs> Anybody notice the young folks? They're a whole lot busier than we ever were. They live lifestyles that are so busy you can't even hardly keep up with them. Some of them I'm scared to ride with in an automobile. They're so busy. <laughs> and they drive so fast. Everything's going so fast. And nobody stops to think that God says, be still and know that I am, Lord. I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That must mean in my mind that if you're not still, it might be hard to realize that he's God. 
And I think Satan goes to a lot of trouble to keep us just as busy as he can because we don't have time to serve like God would have us do. We don't have time to even meditate and think about things of God because our mind is so full of things we're doing today. Satan likes us being busy. He will contribute to it any way in the world he can. But so much of the time, we Christians act like the earth is more important, the world is more important than the heavenlies. What's going on down here that requires my attention all my awake days. In church, we hear a moving sermon or maybe a Sunday school lesson or something, and we think, you know, I probably need to do that. And we walk out these doors, and before we hardly get to the car, the world has grabbed us again. And here we go. And we never get to do what being still and knowing that I am God would move us to do. We get busy. We don't have time to do it. That's the way Satan works. Nothing any more complicated than that. Just keeping us busy. Keeping something on our mind all the time. We need more self-control. We need more control over our brain, what goes in there and how we use it and the way we spend it. He says in, I think, the 55th chapter of Psalms that if we leave a bad thought in our mind and we recognize it to be a bad thought and we try to pray while that bad thought is on our mind, he won't hear our prayer. That's big stuff. The biggest thing we've got, people, is prayer. We can do anything with prayer that can be done because God will do it for us when we pray for it. <laughs> I remember some guy years ago said they were taking prayer requests in an old country church and uh, Somebody brought up something. Somebody was in, in a real jam. And somebody said, well, we just need to stop and pray about that. That thing's got to have prayer. And said so one of the older ladies in the church says, oh, my goodness, has it come to that? <laughs> prayer is our quick draw, folks. We ought to be so quick on the draw to pray. Just stop and pray wherever we are, whatever we hear, whatever we see that is not right. Lord, change that. And he does. He says he does. There's part of history that says when Thomas Jefferson retired, he had had this idea for a long time, one of our founding fathers, and when he retired, he finally had time. He got his Bible down and a pair of scissors and he cut everything out in the four Gospels that involved a miracle or anything supernatural because he didn't believe in none of that. Now, if you take the miracle and the supernatural thing out of Jesus' life, you still got a lot left, but there's a lot gone. But I'm telling you, folks, there are miracles happening every day and they're happening to you. I hope you recognize them because God is adjusting your, your, the life around you to accommodate you and to take care of you and to make you what he wants you to be. But the thing is, we can do that too. Just don't have to take our Bible down and cut out stuff. All you got to do is just don't believe it. Whatever is in the Bible that you do not believe might as well not even be there if you think about it. So it's very important about believing what's in there. Because mentally, it's not in there for you if you don't believe it.
what I find myself attempting to do in the way I try to do what God wants me to do is to strengthen yours and my relationship with Jesus Christ in such a way that you won't feel like you've got to have a church to have a relationship with Jesus. You don't have to be in church to see Jesus. He's inside of you every day, all day. And regardless of what situation you're in, you can feel just as close to Jesus out there sitting on a stump in the woods than you can in church. You've got to realize that. That your relationship with Him is a very one-on-one personal thing. Now when we come to church, that one-on-one that each one of us has with Jesus is all brought together in a lump. But when we leave and go back out, that relationship between us and Jesus should be the same. Shouldn't be any different. There are so-called new churches that are trying to tell new Christians that there is a new way to worship God. And it's not. It's 2,000 years old. It's as old as salvation. Salvation and serving Jesus is at least 2,000 years old. Nothing's changed. This Bible was written and it's the only thing we have to go by and it's been that way for 2,000 years. Some of it has been there a lot longer than that. Well, you've been talking a good bit. I hadn't heard you read the scripture yet. I've quoted a couple. Well, let's go to Deuteronomy now. Chapter 27 and verse 5. He's telling his chosen people, Israel. We're his chosen people now, but then it was the Israelites. It was the Jews, God's chosen people. And he's telling them something in verse 5. And there thou shalt build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones, thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. You see what that means? He says, build an altar that you can worship me by and build it out of stones and stack them up in a pile. But don't put a hammer and chisel on not one of them. Not one of them. Leave them just like you find them and stack them up and make that altar that way. Verse 6, Thou shalt build the altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones, and thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. And thou shalt offer peace offerings, and shalt eat there, and rejoice before the Lord thy God. Commandment. When you build an altar in the wilderness, if that's where it is, you build it out of stones that have not been shaped by man's hands. What has that got to do with anything? What difference does that make? Why were they instructed not to shape the stones that they built the altar with? To use the ones that were out there that God made just like he made them. You know that. You know why. What would they do? Somebody would say, oh, yeah, see, you built an altar. Yeah, I sure did. Man, I tell you what, I got me a hammer and chisel, and I started, and I made the be- most beautiful altar you ever seen in your life. That's what people would do. And God said, wait a minute. I think those rocks are beautiful enough to build an altar with without you doing anything with them at all. I don't need you to shape those stones. Just pile them up and worship there. I want to show you something else in Acts. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 22. We've got Paul at Mars Hill 
I'm sorry, in Greece. Yeah, he was at Mars Hill in Greece. Mars Hill's in Greece, I'm sorry. But verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens. So it was in Athens, Greece, where Mars Hill was. That's where all the smart people got together to discuss things. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. That word superstitious is defined in the Bible dictionary as religious. We'll get right back to that word in just a minute. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. They had written on the altar, to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I've seen that you got an, one of your worship places has got an altar that has a sign on it to the unknown God. And y'all are worshiping that and you don't even know who it is. Don't even know who it's for. That's the one I'm telling you that I come here to represent. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. God doesn't live in the church anymore. He doesn't live in the tabernacle anymore. He doesn't live in the temple anymore. When Jesus died on the cross and the veil to the temple, been the back end of the church that was in the tabernacle, the back end in the Holy of Holies where God lived was rent from top to bottom and God moved out. Jesus had just cleaned the temple with a rope made of, with a whip made of cords and beat the money changers out of the temple. It wasn't that simple. Jesus was showing everybody who had a spiritual mind to hear and eyes and ears, spiritual eyes and ears to hear that he was cleaning God out of that place. God wasn't going to live there anymore. God had already said, I will put my law in their hearts. I will live inside of them. And that's what he did. When the church was formed at Pentecost, when Peter preached and 3,000 men were saved and uncountless women and children too, God put the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's a part of him, people. He took a part of him and put it inside of us. He doesn't live in the church anymore. You don't have to go to church to find Jesus or God. Listen. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. I want to share something with you, a very personal thing with me. Before I could ever amount to anything with God, it all came, started coming to me of things I'd been reading in the Bible. And I had to find out something. God does not need Joe Clark. You need to understand that. He does not need me for anything. The beautiful part of understanding that, I mean, he says it over and over and over in this Bible. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he wants us. That's the difference. He doesn't have to have me. He wants me. And that gives me a whole different feeling about my re relationship with him. He's not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your tithe, your offerings, whatever you put in the plate. He doesn't need it. But he wants you to give it. Not because of what it does to his bank account, but what it does to your mind to feel that you can do something to help God's work out. 
I've heard preached in my life that sermon from the 50th chapter of Psalms where it says, God owns the beast of the field and the fowls of the air, and he says the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. You've heard that preached. Nobody preaches two verses down. If I got hungry, I wouldn't call you. <laughs> That's what God said. If I got hungry, I wouldn't call you. The whole point is, people, God doesn't need us, but he created us because he wants us, and he wants us to serve him, and he wants to try to see us improve, and he wants to try to work with us to make us like the firstborn, his firstborn, Jesus Christ. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. I'll say it again. He doesn't need us. We need him. That's the thing. He says here that he gives us our life. He gives us our breath. Each breath we take. Now, how long do you live without breathing? We've all heard stories. God keeps us alive. I've got a pacemaker. My heart won't beat one time without my pacemaker shooting that little spark in there. But you know what? I still believe that God makes my heart beat. If it's through a pacemaker, it's through a pacemaker. But he's still in charge of it. God is in charge of my living and dying. I've tried to make that a point to every doctor I have to go see. They're not in charge of me living, being alive or being dead. They can't kill me. But God can, and he will when it's time. Giveth to all life and breath and all things. Our heart wouldn't beat without God making it beat. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. You know what that says? God even adjusts our lives so that the things that he predicted before he created anything in this world would still come about just when it's supposed to. Don't try to make me believe God didn't give me diabetes. Don't try to make me believe that God didn't take away all my property with a tornado. Because I know he did. He appointed everything that happens to each one of us like he said it was going to happen before we even were even thought of by anybody else. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God is even in control, and the only reason we don't think about it is so hard for our little brains to grasp that every single person in the world is where he's supposed to be when God wants him to be where he's supposed to be. He's even established where we're going to live and where we're going to move back and forth and what time we're leaving the house in the morning. That's what it says. Go back, take the scripture, spend all the time you want researching it. And that's what it says. We can't live two seconds without him. He doesn't need us. That they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him. Feel after him. We talk about feeling the Holy Spirit. That is God. And find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You know how far he is away from me? From where my hand is to my heart? He's about that far. God's in every one of us all the time. And we're out there trying to figure out how to live a better life for him. 
And he said, hey, don't, don't sweat that. Just be happy, rejoice, stay happy. And when I need you, I'll call you. The only thing I want out of you is to know that when I do call you, you'll come. And you'll do what I tell you to do. That's all he needs. That's all he wants. For in him we live and move and have our being. We can't even be without God. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. Turn over to Philippians, just a few pages over to the right, chapter 4. I don't know whether all of us were aware that God is so much involved in our lives and has been involved in our lives since before he created Eden and Adam and Eve. He knew we were going to be here and he already decided what we were going to do and where we were going to be and, 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 and how we were going to be dealt with before he ever created anything. That's amazing. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Now here's some interesting stuff. If we'll slow down and read it slow and look at every word. That's what I found I have to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. A double commandment to be happy. Let your moderation be none unto all men. Now most of us in here I think are probably old enough. We remember that expression, chill. You remember that? That's what I thought about when I read that. You remember how there used to be ponds and all that bunch of chill, man, chill. He means get control of yourself. Be cool. Don't be so upset. Look what he just said. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is close. The Lord is at hand. He's close. Yes, he's close. He's right in here watching everything I'm doing. Be anxious or careful for nothing. Don't be afraid of anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You need something? Tell God about it. And then sit back and wait on him to give it to you. Or whatever he thinks is best for you. He knows what you need. You don't have to explain everything to him. But he wants you to ask him because he wants you to tell somebody, I prayed and God gave it to me. That's how God gets his glory. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. Let me tell you what that phrase, which passeth all understanding, means. And the peace, you'll get the peace of God, which is a miracle. God will perform a miracle on you by giving you his peace. shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, now listen to this. we got a list here. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there's any virtue out there that you can see, any good people that have good minds that are doing things good like God wants them to, if there be any praise, think on these things, commandments. those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. 
and the God of peace shall be with you. Keep your mind on the good stuff. Well, I just tell you what, I was just sitting there, I know people, and all of a sudden this thought came in my head. The first thing you know, I'm just so upset, I don't even know what to do just thinking about it. God says you have a choice. You can either think about that or you can't think about it. Now I'll tell you what I told that lady the other day. That said, I just try to help people all day long. Let me tell you what you do. Everything that you run into, every person that you're around, every situation you find yourself in, if it takes your smile away from you, get away from it. Get away from it. Well, I'll just tell you, I just stay upset all day because so-and-so is doing so-and-so. So Get away from it. But wait a minute now, my folks raised me to be responsible. I'm supposed to take care of stuff like that. No, 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 no. You're supposed to take care of what God tells you to take care of. Well, I tell you the truth. I watch the news and I just get so upset about it. Cut it off. <laughs> it's got a knob on there. And if you turn it to the left, you won't have to look at it no more. Cut it off. Don't let it get in your mind and upset you and take your smile away from you. Judy and I went to a Bill Gothard con seminar years ago. Years ago. And that's what he was teaching. In order to be what God wants you to be, You've got to be able to walk down the street and share Jesus with anybody you run into. Can you do that? Well, you know, 25 years ago, me and old so-and-so had a run-in together, and I just tell you the truth, I don't know if I could do that with him. Well, go to him and get it straightened out because he might be the very one that's on God's list that you've got to evangelize for Jesus Christ. And if you can't talk to him, get it fixed to where you can because otherwise you're no good for Jesus. I, I just can't stand to be around those kind of people. Well, look, get where you can stand to be around them because God might very well have you in the business of changing some of their minds for him. You see what we do? We live as a Christian, in a very limited scope. Well, I can't talk to those people. I can't, you know, I could never go to jail and talk to somebody in jail. Why not? You've just told God, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do because I can't do that. We don't think that way. But that's what God is saying because he thinks that way. Whether it's people or things or situation, when you find that you can't smile in the situation you're in, get away from it. If you can't smile around people, they upset you, get away from them. But wait a minute. I mean, I've been having trouble with my boy or my girl or something. You don't, yeah, get away from them. That's some hard talking. Yes, it is. That's what God says. Pray for God to make you obedient. Pray that that will happen. Pray, God, you know me better than anybody else in the world does. Whatever it takes to make me obedient to you, do it, and I'll put up with it. Can you pray that? Might be praying for trouble, but you'll come out at the other end better off. Each day, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these other things will be added to you.
What did we start out saying about this series of sermons? The most important is love your Lord with all your God, all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'll tell you where I interpreted that. In order for me to love my neighbor just like I love me, my neighbor's got to be more important than I am, or I'll love me better. So I try to treat everybody that I'll come into contact with like they're better than me. That's not always easy to do. Sometimes I can't do it, but I try. Don't quit smiling. Don't quit being, don't quit rejoicing. Don't quit being glad and happy. If you want the proof of it, turn to Proverbs. Like I said a while ago, Proverbs is full of stuff like that. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 14. Proverbs 4, 14. Look what he says. Enter not into the path of the wicked. Don't walk on the same path he walks on. And go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. For they sleep not except they've done mischief. Now you know some people like that. They can't go to bed at night without knowing they've been into something that day. They hunt trouble. And you know people like that. For they sleep not except they have done mischief and their sleep is taken away unless they cause somebody to fall. They're out to get you. And they're just plain mean. And they wake up in the morning being that away tomorrow, same way they are today. Why would you want to be around somebody like that other than to pray and ask God to give you five minutes with them to you, so you can share Jesus with them? For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. That's the way they won't live. They won't live in trouble. They like, they brag, they get together and brag about how they run into problems with other people. But the path of the just is a shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. You know folks that are bad? Sure you do. You see them messing up all the time. You watch their lifestyle. And they're constantly in a mess. They can't seem to get away from a mess because their lifestyle dictates a mess. Somebody said, you need to avoid him. I mean, he'll pick a fight with you in a heartbeat. Yes, he will. Is it bad for a Christian to say that? No, it's the truth. God encourages us to say the truth. But stay away from it until you can pray yourself up to where you can stay with him close enough to give him Jesus. And then you got to leave it up to him then. And if he doesn't take it, if he turns around and cusses you out, so be it. I've never had a broke bone for somebody cussing me. Never have figured I was what they call me. They get us upset because they follow Satan. They don't follow God. And it says avoid them. Stay away from them. Get away from them. Don't let them take your smile away from you. Please, God and the people in your life need your smile. That's the reason God says keep a smile on your face. Well, it's hard for me to do where I work. Find another job? Is it that important to you? It's important to God. And so today, the message for Labor Day weekend 2023 is be glad. <laughs> be glad all day. Get up in the morning rejoicing. Go to bed at night rejoicing. 
and get away from anything in the middle of the day that upsets you. I can't deal with that. I'm sorry. See you. God expects us to be that way. Who will take godly advice from an old grump? Who will take godly advice from somebody that won't stir up trouble? Who will take godly advice from someone who is not nice? Very few people will. They've got to be in a real crunch to take advice from somebody that's not acting right. So in order to serve God like God wants us to serve God, we've got to be happy. Maybe we're not grinning from ear to ear, but at least we're humming down in our heart, you know. I remember my mama humming all day long in the house. It was something that would make you feel better, you know. You knew she had a song in her heart whether it was on her lips or not, you know. But that's a sermon to everybody today. There's not a one of us that can't smile more and frown less. And we got to know that God wants us to be that way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that we don't see a lot. And in this day and age, we're certainly not going to find that advice in the world. The world is in tribulation. The United States is upside down. And the only one's happy about it is Satan himself. So, Lord, make us that light on the hill you talk about. That let our light so shine that other men may see Jesus in us and glorify you because of it. A frown has never been much of a way to glorify God. So, Lord, teach us to be happy and to have joy. And to be glad. You say in your word, this is the day that God has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We can do that. If we're not anxious about everything. Lord, thank you for teaching us. Make it stick in our hearts. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.